Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Hi, everyone. Elaine and Diane here. And we know that you want your complex kids to grow up to be happy and independent. And yet you're not always sure how or when to help with that. In this podcast, we'll encourage you to collaborate with all kinds of complex kids and support them in navigating life and learning. And we'll interview leading experts from around the world, as well as parents in our own community, talking about how training for parents actually helps these complex kids. We'll talk about the issues we hear parents struggling with all the time and how a coach approach can support and empower your amazing young people. We won't tell you what to do. We're going to help you figure out how. So let's move on to the next conversation. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode in the Parenting with Impact podcast. I am one of your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus. Diane Dempster, glad to be here with you. And we are excited to have a really interesting conversation with our guest today, Nikki Gaffin-Stone, who is a board-certified behavior analyst and uh, a bit of a maverick, self-described maverick. So we're going to find out what that means, and we're really excited about that. You want to so, get yeah, started? Yeah, so Mickey, just dump in. We don't do bios because they're boring and people can read about you below. So, oh, hey. About, but <laughs> my my bio is fascinating. Fascinating. It's fascinating. <laughs> and everybody can read it there. So, Sounds start, good. kick us off by just kind of even sharing a little bit about how you ended up where you are now, a little bit of the backstory to kick us off. Okay. Well, when you read that fascinating bio, you'll see that I've traveled a lot and I've done different work with kids, with families. I've been a nurse, Montessori teacher, this kind of thing. And I've raised two kids myself while moving. And it occurred to me that there's there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of difficulty out there for parents who feel judged all the time because they are. And it's such a difficult environment, whatever country you're in, honestly, to try and navigate with your kids. And if your kids have extra issues, then you have extra problems yourself to navigate. And I found applied behavior analysis and it looked very promising to me. So I I started working in it with the kids one-on-one and so on. And then- Can you explain what it is? ABA is, it's applied behavior analysis. So it's the science of behavior change. And basically what you're looking at is what happens before the behavior, which is sort of a trigger, what the behavior is itself, and then what reinforces it afterwards. Because if the behavior is continuing, something is reinforcing it. There's other things that come into play, but that's literally the ABCs, the antecedent behavior consequence. So you you look at that and then you figure out why this behavior is happening, find something more appropriate to replace it with, work towards that. Now, what's appropriate depends on the family, depends on the kiddo, depends on capabilities. It depends on what, what it looks like for them. So it's really variable. Right. So you were saying that you have found applied behavior analysis. Yeah. And so I worked in it and I decided, okay, let me go all the way in because that tends to be my MO. So I did the study at master's level and I did the internship and it's a lot of work, took the exams, did all the things. And I was a starry eyed BCBA as, as they tend to be. And then I got into the real world of working in, in a company with kids. 
And the priorities are not always the same priorities that you might like to have. Money seems to be a factor for a lot of places and hours, you know, that the priorities shift. I also found there were some things that I would look at and say, well, if we can bring in this extra polyvagal theory, for example, which I've also studied, I'm um, a certified youth mental health specialist. So can we bring in some of this information? No, you can't. In ABA, you have to do just that. And it's, you know, we're not created in a vacuum. We don't function in a vacuum. Working with one discipline isn't going to cut it. Right. These are complex kids that require complex solutions. And and all human beings are. The thing is, B.F. Skinner, who started the whole thing off in the 50s, he worked with pigeons, you know, (laughs) and the behavior that animals do, okay, you, you can transfer it in that everything that's alive has a behavior, but you can't transfer it in that these things, these animals are in boxes. They mm-hmm. have limited environment. They have limited needs. So it's very straightforward if A, then B. You know, this, this is not complicated stuff. People don't live like that, though. No, not really. Well, <laughs> no, well, and not only that, but the reality is that the science evolves often quick, more quickly than any one modality can, right? It's just sort right. of, you know, we're doing our things, we're keeping our heads down, and then all of a sudden somebody else over here is doing something cool, too, if you can find a way to build on that and, and grow from there instead of following one path, a lot of times it, we get deeper toolboxes. We talk about that at Impact Parents all the time. We want parents to have toolboxes and not just mm. solutions. Right. That's where the maverick thing comes in because I'm working as a parent coach now so that I can use all the different things that I've studied. Acceptance commitment therapy is becoming more accepted by many behavior analysts. So that's good. That's that's a, a progressive move. But I just like the freedom to be able to take the different things where they seem necessary. And I also prefer to work with the parents more, having the parents enabled to do the work rather than have a therapist come in. So um, so can we talk about that? Because, you know, mm. we're also parent coaches and, and we all sitting here having this conversation believe so strongly in the power of empowering parents. Mm. Right, which is what I'm hearing you talk about. So what do you see as the role in the parent? Why is that your focus? Well, the parent knows the child better than anybody. Mm -hmm. So they are the expert in their child. And they are going to notice the subtle differences that somebody coming in to help is not going to notice. They're not going to recognize them. And they're the person who's with the child 24-7. One of the issues I have with therapy particularly things like ABA, some companies will have the child there 20 hours a week, 40 hours a week. Well, what else are they doing? Right. You know, and and I, I just don't think any therapy needs to be that much. I just don't. And if it does, like having said that, if, if you really feel it needs to be intensive, then the parent should be doing this. Mm. Let's help the parent to do this so that the child is part of the family and not separated from them, not made different because I, I find you can have kids that are, you know, oh, my child's autistic. Well, no, I, I beg to differ. Your child has autism. And so what? The question really is, what's the behavior that you want to work on? Uh, or the mood. It it, yeah, it doesn't. But it doesn't matter where it comes from as much as what do you want to do with it? Where do you well, want to go next? And let's yeah. use this label as a shield. 
Well, and that term uh, point of performance, which is the one that we always hear, is this sort of you take a kid out and put them in a therapeutic environment, their behavior change is going to be different than if you then you focus on changing their behavior in the home, in the classroom, those places that they are naturally, and which is the other good reason to kind of help parents because that's where the, the behaviors often are. Well, generalization, which is what you're talking about from environment to environment and across different people, that is part of applied behavior analysis and and you do work with that. But again, if you can have the parent work rather than having an RBT, a registered behavior technician coming in, I, I think that just has to be a better solution. And the younger you can start with the kiddo, the better it is. The parents kind of figure it out quickly. I've had a couple of clients that it took them six months and they said, we're good. Thank you. We can, mm-hmm. we can run with this now. Yeah. And I'm celebrating that's because that's what you want, right? It is. One of my favorite things is the letters from clients saying, I think I'm ready to graduate. And you know, it's like, yep, I think you are. It's great. Right? It's time. It's ready. Yeah. No, that, but, that's the thing that you, you want to here like well, I've got this well yes. that's the difference between an, an an analyst and a coach I think in a lot of ways right if I, mean, I think be about careful your, not to generalize but yeah it's, no well the evolution I'm hearing you describing right you started off as an analyst and then you saw these other modalities you wanted to bring in mm-hmm. and there was something about coaching that appealed to you maybe talk about that a little bit what was that the drew you Well, the thing with behavior analysis, the science works. I mean, Mm -hmm. the basic science works. The question is, what are you going to do with it? And Mm -hmm. there's more information that you can add to it. And I really, really want to do that. I don't like being stuck in a little box. And kids aren't in a little box. I'm also very much... um, I love to engage with the person I'm working with and, and not have all these steps removing You know, so if you're going to have a behavior treatment plan, I want to make it with the parent, not sort of in some ivory tower and then hand it over. Coaching is something I have a background in before behavior analysis, funnily enough, in the field of health and wellness. So this is another aspect of that, really. It's just in my nature. So the word you just used, and I want to play with this and see what comes up, is treatment. Mm-hmm. Think about these complex kids. How do you see it? Are we talking about support? Are we talking about treatment? Are we talking like, what is it that we're, okay. we're doing su- to support them and their families? As a behavior analyst, you do treatment plans. Mm-hmm. This is what the insurance companies require is treatment right. plans. As a coach, I am supporting the parents to work with their child, to better understand their child. And, you know, communication is a big focus for me. Yeah. Because we often say something that we, we don't actually mean the words we're using. Often. But, you know, there's <laughs> black, there's white, and then there's all gray nuanced area. And the kids that we work with don't tend to live in the gray. They don't get the nuance. So you need to be very clear about what you're saying. And that's sort of my focus. So that's, that's definitely not treatment. That is a support plan that I build with the people I'm working with. If it's not what they want, then there's no point in me doing it. Right. They have to be on board. Well, not only that, the other thing, when, when we hear the word treatment, and I totally understand and get and appreciate the background of the insurance companies and getting paid for, and but that word treatment suggests that something's broken that needs to be fixed. And part Agreed. of what we teach all the time is that this isn't about broken. This is about mm-hmm. optimizing or you know helping kids to adjust and, and fit in in a way that helps them to feel more successful. 
I could not agree with you more. Yeah. I am so 100% behind that. I don't think autism is a problem. I don't think ADHD is a problem. I think being unable to accommodate these differences is a problem. And people need to figure out how to do that because we all have something that we'd like some kind of accommodation for. How can we do that? You know, kids with autism, I think, tend to have superpowers, honestly. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is what I'll tell them. Kiddo, you see things that other people are going to miss. You see them in a clarity that other yep. people don't have. Okay. And, and that is amazing. You know, never lose that. Not that they would, but, you know, let's not try and make them. I just was reading an article in The Week about Richard Branson has come out and basically said dyslexia is his superpower. And Mm -hmm. the reason he believes he's been so successful was because of his dyslexia, not in spite of it. Yeah. Which I I think is beautiful. Yeah. And he he goes on to explain why. And it makes perfect sense. He sees things others don't see. He did have to learn the difference between net and gross profit and discovered that he wasn't making as much money as he thought he was. But (laughs) Okay. Okay. Fair enough. But yeah, I love Richard Branson. I think he's a rock star. Like he's Mm -hmm. just, I love his attitude. He just gives you this big smile when you tell him you can't do something and then he goes and does it. Does it anyway. Um, Well, that's what complex kids are all about, right? Is there- well, I think we need them because if everybody's thinking the same way, if everybody's in the same little box, then we get the same things. Like the innovation comes from people who think differently. Yes. And I would love to encourage that aspect and not try and squash it and, you know, really sort of work with kids with differences to see where is the strength in this? Because there's always a strength in there. Let's, well, let's find yeah. what that is and work with it. Well, and I think that that's the challenge and the opportunity here, because the reality is we still live in a society that values conformity and fitting in. And our educational system, we talk about this all the time, is is designed to you know educate the masses. And so finding ways and finding spaces where we can encourage differentiation, encourage brilliance mm-hmm. and, and strengths. At the same time, we know that you know our kids want to fit in. They, they on some level, uh, have a hard time if they don't fit in, right? Right. And that's one of the things that you can actually work with is, okay, in this situation, this is what it looks like to fit in. It's kind of teaching masking, but not exactly. It's teaching how to work in this situation. And then if you don't like it, how to get yourself out of it. Um, Could you explain what masking is? For those who don't masking for for Mm -hmm. autism, it's when somebody's able to pretend that you know they'll pretend empathy. They'll sort of force themselves to make eye contact. They'll pretend to be normative thinking, and it's very stressful, and it's very difficult to maintain. It's inauthentic for that person, and it's it's just productive of a whole lot of nothing good. But people do use that in order to fit in. So I think I was thinking about when my daughter used that as a middle school kid, mm-hmm. as a kid with dyslexia. Not with autism, but as because she couldn't follow the social cues and couldn't follow the verbal processing of her peers. And so she would just pretend to know what they were talking about. That is a huge deal with the kids, with the kids that we work with, because there can be knowledge gaps that you miss because they cover it so well. And it's really foundational stuff and it will bite you like in later years yeah. because you didn't learn this basic thing. And it's so easy to miss. I mean, that's something I'm always checking for understanding and going back 
points like, yes, but is there anything we've missed here? Because the it, because kids are good at masking. They, they do are. want to fit in. Well, because but, they start off mimicking and then at some point it becomes authentic for ideally, right? Yeah, <laughs> ideally. Well, you can learn empathy, for example. If a person yeah. doesn't have the inclination for empathy, they can learn it. It's, mm-hmm. it's absolutely possible. But masking is something that I find with conversations with adults who are, you know, they have autism, they have ADHD, maybe they have both. They find it exhausting mm-hmm. and, and it leads to meltdowns. You know, it leads to them getting upset because they're building up all this tension, pretending to be somebody they're not. And that can be difficult. But I, I do like to cover it as a tool that you can have access to this. You can use this if you really feel that that would be your best option, but don't use it all the time. It's kind of like urgency with, with it as a motivator for ADHD, doing something at last minute. It's a reasonable tool as long mm-hmm. as it's not the only tool in your toolbox. Right. Yeah. If it's something that you have control over and you can choose to use that thing rather than feel compelled to, then, okay, we're, we're on to something. We can use it. And I'll look for any tools that the kiddos want to use. Like what it, Again, when you're looking at superpowers, well, what works for you? What are you comfortable with? And there's a lot of fuss made about teaching kids to make eye contact. And I'm not one of those people. Like I don't mm-hmm. think it's necessary. I know a lot of people that don't make eye contact. They're not comfortable mm-hmm. with it. Yeah. Okay. I don't think it's a, bit, a big issue unless the child has a problem with that, but usually they don't. So what I'm hearing you saying in the macro sense of, of the work that you're doing and, and what you see is important in the world is really following the child, figuring out what the child wants, what the child needs, and then creating an environment where the parents are able to support that child. Yeah. And you're able to work with that child to achieve what it is that they want to be successful. Exactly. Well, and a and big take, part. Take it a step further. The language we use, Elaine, is about helping the child find their own agenda right? yeah. and then achieve that agenda. Absolutely. I mean, the kids know what they're comfortable with and, and what they want to try and where they want to stay. You know, let's just figure out from their aspect, what, what do they want? And for the parents, I find I spend a big chunk of time up front at the beginning, taking apart what they think is a problem because somebody else has said it is. Mm. And let's not take on everybody else's agenda. What do you have an issue with? For example, if a, if a kiddo has a behavior where they play with something in their hands, they fidget and that helps them concentrate. Well, this is fine. That's perfectly fine. You know, let them do that. If they're clanging cymbals, that might be an issue. But if they're just playing with something, cool. If they rock a little bit, okay. It's not a big deal, is it? Somebody else might tell you it is. They might pathologize it, but there's no need. Like, yeah. why not? Yeah. So it's creating an environment that helps them be successful in a way that works for them. Yeah. And for the Um, parents to understand that their child is not broken. Their child does not need fixing. Yeah. Let's not do the fixing thing. Um, Let's just see where are the strengths. Let's play with the strengths. And if there's something that's really problematic, we'll take that apart and have a look at it and find something else. Yeah. That, that sounds like a great place for us to sort of focus in on, Mickey, how can people find out more about you? Because we're right at about that time where we want to start shifting the, the conversation. We're, and we'll put it in the show notes, but how can people 
get to, you work in both Colorado and Missouri, if, if I recall. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Well, I work internationally, actually, as a parent coach, which is a lot of fun. I have uh, is, clients in Singapore and Amsterdam, Canada. Yeah. So it's all good fun. But you can find me on my website, which is gaffenstone.com, G-A-F-F-E-N. And we will Stone have like a rock. link in the show notes. Yep. You have that. Uh, if you look me up on social media, just look for my name and you'll find me. There aren't any other Gaffin Stones out there, I don't think. Yeah. I'm very easy to find. <laughs> Got it. Mickey, what, I mean, as we wrap up, what's some of the stuff either we haven't covered that you wanted to make sure we cover or do we want to go back and kind of bottom line some of the conversation we've had here? There's so much more I could talk to you for at least another hour, but I'm going to say when you speak to your child, whatever it is you're telling them, be as clear as you can, check for understanding and always follow through because your child is learning from you whether they can trust you or not. They're learning from you whether to believe you or not. So if you say you're going to do something, then follow it through. Do that thing because they're learning from you and that's where their boundaries come from. As an adult with ADD, hearing that, I'm going to speak for a moment for all the parents who are going, but follow through and consistency is my biggest challenge as an adult. So what do you say say to parents who may be concerned that that's a struggle area for them? Oh, it's 100% a struggle area for all parents, though. It really is because we're not generally raised that way. What I would say is start with something small and make a conscious effort with something small so that you, it's like a muscle that you're going to work out. You're going to practice this. So pick a thing like you can have this after you've had breakfast and then make sure you follow through that they have this after breakfast. Okay. Tick your box mentally at least and build it up from there. Try to pause before you respond so that in the moment you give yourself a second or two to reconfigure what you're going to say because the key is saying something that you can follow through on like we've all seen parents in the supermarket that say you do that again and i am leaving you in the store no you're not no no you're not don't say that you're really not going to do that no because then they're never going to never have a chocolate bar again and they're they're no, right. If, if those exactly. big words like always, never, those kind of words that are about to come out of your mouth, really try hard not to, because you can't follow through on that. Uh, you've just set yourself up. And what happens is, you know, if your kiddo's having a tantrum in the supermarket for a candy bar, you say, no, 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 no. And then, oh, fine, here, have it. Just don't make any more noise. What you just did very effectively was taught your child Go straight to the screaming and the kicking the person behind you because that right. would be a candy bar. Yeah. So, you know, you just <laughs> lifted the bar right up there and they're going to go for that because it works. So make right. sure that when you say no, you follow through. Well, as you said earlier, the science of behavior is clear. Yeah. <laughs> and you've just <laughs> demonstrated the science of behavior. There's a lot of nuance that I'm hearing in terms of how to navigate. And I think that's the work that we all do here is helping parents figure out how to navigate the nuances. Well, and the other piece of this, you you use the phrase, you know, setting yourself up for success, right? It's a sort of so much, so often as parents, we take on so many different things and you said, pick one thing, right? Don't make it this crazy convoluted behavior change plan around Mm. so many different things. We talk about taking in, pick one thing at a time, focus on one thing at a time. 
Yeah. Give yourself some space. I do like to have parents look at, you know, what, what is your biggest issue? If the child's able to tell me what's your biggest issue and let's see if it's the same thing or what do we want to work on? And then what battles do we not have to fight? And that's where, you know, saying, look, look at this. This is not actually a problem. This is just a difference. And that's fine. Let's look at something else. You know, so you can bring that big list, that shopping list of these are all the things down to a few key things and work from there. And I think that's, you know, it's tremendous just to take that pressure off parents because you feel like everybody's watching me. Everybody's judging me. They might be, but who cares? Well, that's the piece of it. It's like, what's the difference? And this could be a whole other conversation, right? The difference between something that's a problem and something that's a difference. I love that distinction. Mm. It's going to be different for all of us because our tolerance for difference is, is different. Uh, depending on who we are, depending on our family norms, depending on our societal norms. I mean, all those things that kind of play into that. Exactly. And that's why I like to work with the family and find out, well, what does everybody need? Like in my work as a behavior analyst, I've seen families where they have an agenda for the child with the differences. They're going to clean their room and they're going to do this and they're going to do that. And they have this whole list. And I look around the house and it's like, well, nobody else is doing this. Why do you want right? this child to do it? <laughs> That's not fair. You know, I'm not turning your kid into a maid. Let's, let's rethink this, you know, yeah. but they have this agenda that nobody else is following. Right. Well, and whose agenda is is really the priority is a big part of what you're talking about. The other thing I heard in what you were saying, and, and we teach this a lot in our model, is this notion of taking aim on one small thing at a time and really looking for some success in change one thing at a time, right? One little success at a time because the success breeds success. Absolutely. And the thing is, if you try multiple things at once, you won't know what worked and what didn't. Exactly. So- same thing with the behaviors. If you're trying multiple things at once, you don't know what doesn't work. You don't know why it didn't work. Is it because you were fixing something else, changing something else, accepting something else? Like what did you do that was different elsewhere? That's in scientific terms, you're going to call that confounding variables, but it basically means what messed up your pot. Because <laughs> <laughs> something else got in there and now you don't know what happened. So you, you don't know where to work moving forward. So one thing at a time, one way, slowly, slowly, took you a while to get where you are. It's going to take you a while to get where you want to be. And that's fine. Yeah. It's an ongoing process. Could not agree more. So this has been a great conversation. Nikki, thank you for being here. And thank you for the work that you're doing in the world. Thank Uh, you for advising me. Will you leave our guests with a final favorite motto or quote that you'd like that you want to share with people? Oh, I have so many things. <laughs> when you're asking your, ch- it's not really a, a motto or a quote, but it's a thing. Okay. When you're asking your child if they understand or if they have a question, reframe the way you're asking it to what questions do you have? Tell me what you understand by this. So that the insinuation is that you will have some questions and you are going to explain to me what you understand. And That's a great beginning for getting on the same page communication-wise. Beautiful. So what questions do you have? Yeah. Like not, do you have any questions? Because the instinctive response from just about everybody ever is, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm not supposed to. Yeah. But you could say, what questions do you have? Or 
Give me two questions that you have. I just heard this last I night. Heard somebody it. said, right? Yesterday. I heard it too. Must be going out on Facebook. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, it, but it's a, it's a, it's, it's a great, great way of doing it. You yeah. know, this is, I've given this to teachers to do. Yes. I was, uh, t- I did a podcast with a teacher a couple of months ago and she was saying, you know, I asked my kids in the classroom, well, you know, do you have any questions? And they always say no, but they still have these problems. And when I told her to reframe it, she was like, yeah. oh, okay. And now she, her kids have questions. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for being here and being part of this conversation with us. And thanks for being a maverick in the world. The world <laughs> needs mavericks. We love mavericks. Yeah. There you go. It's that difference thing, right? Thank you very much for having me. Take care, everyone. For those of you listening, thanks for being here and for what you're doing for yourself and for your kids. It makes a difference. We'll see you in the next one. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Behavior therapy training for parents is actually recommended as a first-line treatment for complex kids. For information about Sanity School, our training program for parents or teachers, which has helped thousands of families around the globe, visit impactparents.com slash sanity school. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.